So welcome to this session. I think it is a very uh, important one. Uh, and I'm pleased to introduce my friend and colleague, Dr. Wanda Malcolm. I asked Wanda what I should say, because if you saw the little postcard about refresh, we had to shorten the wording to describe various people. And there was one person, and it wasn't Wanda, who is a registered psychotherapist and family therapist. But because we couldn't get all that on, someone had abbreviated the word psychotherapist because it really is long if you're trying. So it came out as, can you see this coming? Registered psycho dash and family therapist. <laughs> Fortunately, the person who shall be nameless, but if she's in this room, you might notice her laughing, um, was a good sport about it. Wanda is not a registered psychotherapist, she's a registered psychologist, uh, but also half-time professor of pastoral, no. Two-thirds. And what's your official title? I'm so sorry. I was going to say pastoral counseling, but I know you've slapped my wrist over that before. Pastoral psychology. Pastoral psychology, quite different. It will not surprise you to know that theologians can be a little sniffy about psychologists. And one of the nice things that has happened over the years that Wanda has been here is I have seen respect for her go up little by little by little until her voice is now respected and her advice is uh, called upon, which tells you something about uh, Wanda. One of the projects that she is working on is the Wycliffe Wellness Project, which is what she's going to talk about today. Um, I have been one of her guinea pigs in this and found it uh, very helpful myself, and my hope is that you will find it uh, that way as well. Let's pray uh, as we begin our session. Gracious God, thank you for your love for us and for your world. And we're grateful that you have drawn us not only into fellowship with you, but into your service. Thank you for calling us to be your apprentices and your co-workers. And I thank you for Wanda and for her ministry and how she is able to advise and strengthen people in their ministry. We ask that you'll fill her with your spirit this afternoon, that she may lead us with grace and wisdom, and that we may come away stronger in the work that we seek to do for you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Wanda. Well, welcome. Um, this now is a real test of my ability to engage you because you are um, coming to listen to me at nap time. <laughs> and it's a classic time for a teacher to watch her students start to doze off or start doing things to keep themselves awake, which is almost as distracting as watching them sleep. Um, fortunately, there's a lovely breeze coming through from the doors from Leonard, and we've got some windows open. Um, and hopefully we'll manage for the next hour and a half or so without feeling too sleepy. So I'm, I'm going to talk to you about navigating the ups and downs of ministry life. And right away... That should say to you something about how I see ministry life. It's not a stagnant pond. It's not even uh, a pond that's frozen solid that you can skim over the top of um, or play hockey on. It's up and down, right? It's moving. It's active. And uh, our slide there with the, with the river and the bridge and the tree is kind of classic symbol of that. Um, so if ministry life has its ups and downs, we need to have, be equipped to ride the waves or to work with that. And uh, that's what I'm going to talk about. But first of all, I'm going to lay some groundwork and talk to you about some of um, the assumptions I'm making. And the first one is... Uh, Right, I was told I needed to turn this on. Now it should work. 
First one is to ask, who's involved in ministry life? Well, uh, of course, priests and ministers, pastors in church leadership positions. Uh, the obvious answer is that a, a minister, a pastor, a priest who's in charge of church, uh, the day-to-day -day life of a church or in a church leadership position is, um, is going to be involved in ministry life. But I would suggest to you that it's anyone who's doing the work God equipped them for and called them to. And it can include people who are youth and family ministers, chaplains in schools, hospitals, prisons. It could be a spiritual director, a campus ministry staff, um, a summer camp staff, ministries involving the marginalized. The list goes on and on. In fact, you are the ones who would define whether you are part of if you're engaged in ministry life or not. Are you doing what you're called to do? Are you doing what you are particularly equipped and gifted to do? And are you doing it to build up the body of Christ? If your answer to that is yes, then you are involved in ministry life. And um, what we're talking about today has significance for you. So what does it mean to be a ministry leader? I went looking for some quotations and I thought I'd take a look at um, in and out of the church. And so I've selected a couple of quotations that I thought would be useful to us. And to start off with, uh, the Business News Daily says, ask anyone what it means to be a leader and you'll likely hear something unique every time. But while the definitions may vary, the general sentiments remain the same. Leaders are people who know how to achieve goals and inspire people along the way. Um, it's a very broad definition of leadership, right? If, if you bring someone along with you because you, um, you share with them a plan, a goal, a project, and you are helping to inspire them, uh, then you are in a ministry leadership position. Here's another quote. A truly inspiring leader is someone who communicates clearly, concisely, and often, and by doing so motivates everyone to give his or her best. They challenge their people by setting high but attainable standards and expectations, and then giving them the support, tools, training, and latitude to pursue those goals in order to become the best they can possibly be in their ministry setting. So now we're going to shift into the, the meat of what I have to say, and I want to make a connection for you between being in ministry, being a ministry leader, and being well, right? So what is overall wellness? More importantly, why concern ourselves with wellness as a focus of navigating the ups and downs of ministry life? Um, some of you may feel that God has called you to live a sacrificial life. And maybe wellness is um, selfish or self-serving. Um, why would you be concerned about yourself when you're called to serve the church? Um, I think wellness needs to be our concern because it, because it is us, you and me, individually and uniquely, who are doing ministry. Right? We are the vehicle, we are the means by which God's work is getting done. And um, it is you and I specifically who will lead others by inspiration and example. If you are not well, you cannot hope to motivate others to do their best or become the best in their ministry setting. Maybe in the short run, but not over the whole span of your ministry life. You will become ill, physically or psychologically, or your relationships will founder if you don't pay attention to what it means to be well so that you can serve well. One of the interesting statistics I found is that growing churches tend to have long-term pastorates. 
Um, it's almost unheard of to find a growing church that has had many short-term pastorates. Frequent change of pastors seems to negate all the other complex of ingredients that might be involved in the success of a church's growth. Right? So that, that this information comes out of a study in the United States, um, and it's specifically about people in ordained positions in churches, but my hunch is that it would be true here in Canada, and that it would be true in a uh, parachurch or community-based ministry as well. So here's a bit of advice from Dr. Roger, Roger Parrott, uh, the author of The Long View, Lasting Strategies for Rising Leaders. Lead as if you'll be there forever. Imagine that the organization and position you are in right now is what God wants you to do for the rest of your professional life. Not yet. Um, so if that's true, then it is really important that you be well, right? Otherwise, the rest of your life is going to be quite short. But then we have to ask ourselves, what is wellness in an overall sense? And um, um, what I've actually done is identify um, a set of six overlapping components. Um, there it is. And I'm suggesting that wellness overall is about um, the degree to which you are well in a number of uh, smaller categories. There's spiritual wellness, or what we would call shalom, right? The concept of peace and wholeness and completeness. There's relational wellness when um, our uh, family and work relationships are running well, um, when we are responding to conflict constructively, um, neither avoiding it nor escalating it, but meeting it um, when we need to. There's psychological wellness, which is about uh, your emotional well-being and uh, how you manage uh, challenges on that front. There's physical wellness. Most of us know a good deal about that, or at least we see it, it most commonly, right? Exercise, diet, good sleep, um, all of those things that are kind of foundational to being well physically. Um, there's vocational wellness, and we're going to focus on that um, fairly closely a little later. But there's another um, area of wellness, and that's financial wellness. Um, and it has a bearing on other forms of wellness, doesn't it? And when we're plagued with worry about money, um, it tends to have a ripple effect. That, in fact, is true for any of these areas. If you're, I mean, you probably know this. If a relationship is in difficulty for you, it affects your spiritual well-being. Um, it can interfere with your pleasure and enjoyment of your work. Um, it can keep you awake at night, so your physical well-being, right? And that's why the image is one of overlapping circles. Um, because you can't, and at some point you actually can't separate them out and say, uh, I only need to worry about my physical wellness and then the rest will be fine, right? It's always an interplay. They are affecting one another all the time. So let's talk about, oh, it's, it's lost all the animation. That I, had, I worked so hard on getting the animation. Because like, that's a lot of information, right? It was going to come up one panel at a time. We were going to talk about it and then move on to the next one. Hmm. Well, if you didn't get it at the table outside when you leave, you can get a copy of the chart. So you don't need to take notes, okay? What I wanted to do was to work through each of these areas and just touch on the ways in which you might uh, work at your own wellness. And my assumption here, and I really want to emphasize it, this is not for the selfish purpose 
of merely feeling good and being happy. Those things are lovely, and, and I certainly wouldn't encourage you to avoid them. Um, but the reason that you're doing this is so that you can be well and serve well over the whole span of your life, right? It's about being um, waking up in the morning and looking forward to stepping into whatever is in the day for you and feeling that you have the resources you need to rise to whatever challenges might be in front of you. Um, and, and that is part of, I think, being a successful leader, is bringing that with you and um, showing it by example and inspiration, right? Um, not burning our, the people out who work with us and for us, um, but encouraging them to pay attention to these things as well. So in spite of my cool animation not being there, let's just take a look at it. Um, these are simple. They might be um, Wanda's little uh, book of sayings, right? Just little sound bites, things that you can think about, but they actually are um, places to begin, right? Spend time with friends. Nurture your love life. Stay connected with your family of origin. Make your present family a priority. And make some time to help others. Right? Psychologically, um, I wanted to give you a, a really kind of bare bones definition of what it means to be psychologically healthy. Um, it's being able to think and feel in an integrated synergistic way. So that you can think while you're feeling intensely and you can feel while you're thinking and not be left with a kind of fragmented one and then the other and then back to the first one. It's actually harder for us than we might realize, right? Get hijacked by intense emotion and you can't think straight anymore. Or you, or you get lost in your thoughts and you lose connection with the relational emotional pieces. Part of that is gaining accurate self-awareness and self-understanding. Now here's one that I really urge you to do. Pay as much attention to your capacity for emotional wisdom as you do to acquiring intellectual knowledge. Find creative outlets. Remember to breathe, right? That sounds really silly, but in the few seconds it takes, to get a really good breath, you give yourself time to reorient, a time to choose a focus and to decide what you're going to do next. So remember to breathe. When I would tell you just by, for example, if you're feeling anxious, you start to breathe off the top of your lungs and you don't get a full exchange of oxygen, right? And that starts to affect your capacity to think Right? And when we breathe, we bring ourselves back down to the ground and we are centered and grounded again. So you'd be surprised how important that is. Vocationally, have the courage to notice and act when you're called to bloom where you're planted, especially if it's not the place you would have chosen for yourself. When you're called to a new form of ministry, but here's one that we don't think about very often. When you're called away from your current ministry before you know where you're going to be called next. That's an uncomfortable place, isn't it? And we don't actually have a theology of being called away. Right? And it's a place where we can experience a lot of confusion, a lot of self-doubt, a lot of uncertainty. Um, and so we need courage, um, and we need to be noticing that something is changing, and um, where I am is not fitting anymore. Does that mean it's that I'm being prepared to move? Or is it that thing of blooming where I'm planted? I'm getting restless, and it's not really, it's more about me getting restless than it is about God preparing me for a move. Examine your relationship with time, how you save it, spend it, use it, waste it, 
even kill it, right? We talk about killing time. Um, time is a non-renewable resource, and it's the ultimate equalizer. Doesn't matter what your socioeconomic status is, your race, your time in history, your gender, none of it, it's all the same. We get an unknown number of hours and days, and once we've used today's allotment, it's gone. Um, so what is your relationship with time? The physical one is always, I always feel like a hypocrite because <laughs> it's the one where I have the most difficulty, right? Uh, but I can say all the good things and then you'll know that some of what I'm saying I'm, I'm not as effective at practicing as I would like. Get enough good quality sleep. Eat a healthy, balanced diet. Attend to symptoms of illness appropriately and, and uh, find physical recreational outlets that suit your personality and lifestyle. If you're not a marathon runner, <laughs> don't try to be one, right? Walk um, or find other ways of getting um, some physical activity into your day. Spiritually, find prayer practices that work for you. Read and meditate on scripture in ways that work for you. Here's the one that's getting harder and harder for us. Practice Sabbath rest, right? Um, I grew up in a time where, uh, and in a community where you didn't do anything on Sunday except go to church and visit friends. And uh, that's really different now, right? Sunday's become a day where you can fit in some of those extra errands um, and do the grocery shopping and a gazillion other things so that you start Monday morning feeling tired gather with others to worship, and experiment with spiritual practices like the ones Richard Foster wrote about in Celebration of Discipline. Consider a spiritual director, right? And then financially, examine your understanding of what it means to have enough and to live self-sacrificially. Um, and there's another worrisome statistic that says that um, a lot of senior pastors, again, a U.S. Stats, stat that I think is true in Canada, serve in small churches with significant personal and church financial challenges, right? Um, and uh, it means that we have to think about our relationship with money, much like I had suggested you should think about your relationship with time. And here's an interesting one. I came across it recently for the first time. Affluenza, right? Maybe some of you are already familiar with it. Uh, uh, British psychologist Oliver James defined affluenza as placing such a high value on money, possessions, appearances, both physical and social, and fame, that it actually results in higher rates of mental disorders in consumerist cultures, right? Um, having more than you need and wanting even more than that can make you ill. Um, and it catches you into a trap because after you have enough, more isn't going to make you happier, right? And so you're on a treadmill that you can't get off of. So how do you improve your wellness? Well, there's a really simple um, equation. Have more core satisfiers than core stressors. Have more things that feed and renew your energy and enthusiasm than take away from it, right? So the, the core satisfiers are the life-giving aspects that you've built into the rhythm of your life. And I've given some examples there. It could be learning, um, living out my calling, sharing the gospel, or aspects outside my ministry life. Um, and uh, the core stressors are the elements that erode the goodness of your ministry life. Could be conflict, could be not enough time. But guess what? It could also be, and you're going to learn in a few minutes, living out my calling or aspects outside ministry life. Some of these are two-edged swords, and we're going to talk more about that in a minute. Um, 
You need to know yourself and pay attention to what's life-giving for you and adds meaning to your endeavors. You also need to pay attention to what erodes or robs your life of goodness and meaning. So the very simplest thing, and we could all go now for coffee, um, is to say um, increase those core satisfiers, decrease the core stressors, or both. But of course, life is not really that simple, is it? Do you know what your core satisfiers and stressors are? And if I, if I gave you a test and I said, okay, I, I want to know what your core satisfiers are, I want to know what your core stressors are, would you be able to identify them? Um, most of us can speak about it globally. Like, they can say, you know, it makes me crazy when. And, and obviously we're talking about a core stressor then. Or, you know, I just really, really enjoy and we're talking about a core satisfier. But there is another way that you can find out. You can participate in the Wycliffe Wellness Project. Um, project is a long-term study of the ups and downs of ministry life and how your particular pattern of stressors and satisfiers is impacting that experience. We want to understand in a really deep and um, uh, unique to each person way what it takes to have a sustainable, faithful ministry life, right? There's that word again, you know, over the long haul, sustainable. And, uh, we want to be able to look forward to 10 or 20 or 30 years of um, being glad to get up in the morning and meet whatever is in it for each one of us. Like most other research in the area, we started out being interested in figuring out um, what the major stress factors are that erode wellness and lead to burnout in ministry life. But we've moved away from that. We are not asking anymore what's wrong with people in ministry. Because that's the implication, right? Some of this research is, so what's wrong with these people in ministry that they can't cut it? Or what's wrong with ministry life that it's impossible to be well in it? And what we're doing is taking a more holistic view of ministry that identifies and appreciates the life-giving aspects without ignoring or dismissing the ones that erode or take away from it. It's looking at right, that balance, and where's the tipping point for each one of us. One of the unexpected outcomes of our initial research has been the development of a, you could call it an assessment tool or a self-awareness tool um, that features a personal feedback summary and the option of a one-on-one -on -one feedback conversation with um, myself or one of the other people on the research team. Um, the questionnaires that we've developed have turned out to be the building blocks of, of this uh, summary and conversation so that people can actually take a really good look at their own experience in ministry life. I'm seeing several gifts to being involved in the project. Uh, for example, uh, it normalizes the experience of ministry life. Um, in a few minutes, you're going to see a slide which lists the most common stressors for the majority of people who participated in the project so far. And you're going to learn that many people in ministry cite prayer as one of their core stressors. Would you have guessed that? Not enough time to pray. Um, feeling bothered, distressed by dry spiritual times in their lives, um, not feeling motivated to pray, right? Prayer is, and I've talked to people, once this started showing up, and, and I talked to people, I'd say, why do you think that is? And they'd say, well, I'm in ministry. I'm supposed to pray. Like, I'm supposed to be a prayer warrior, right? I'm supposed to be, well, and I'm not. Oh, I'm not very good at this, and I don't think I do it enough. And so then we get to carry um, so the weight 
of our own feeling of guilt for not being good enough at this or not doing this enough, right? And it actually takes away from the goodness of what we do. The other really interesting thing is it's not on people's list of core satisfiers. It doesn't make it into the top of the list. Isn't that bizarre? I would never in a million years have guessed that that's what would come out of as one of the findings. And, but it shows up over and over and over again. So just um, getting a feedback summary and seeing if prayer is a, is a core stressor for you, that you're not alone, that this is actually quite common, is a relief. It also opens the possibility of conversation about it. Right? If, if it is true for many of us, then we can dare to talk about it. Right? It's okay to, to have conversations, maybe even go to a, a workshop, um, talk to a spiritual director about what do I do about this. Right? Um, but being in the project is also useful as a discernment tool um, when we're new to a particular form of ministry. If we start something new, um, and in the first year or so, you participate in the project, you, you get to find out um, where you are um, putting down roots and f- finding your feet in that ministry, and where there are some signs maybe of erosion that you want to attend to. And because we've broken it down into smaller categories, it's actually, uh, you have a hope of finding a place to begin. It's not, it's not as overwhelming as So where do I start with all of this? In general, it's an opportunity to celebrate one's unique pattern of gifts and strengths and affirm what's good about your ministry life without dismissing the fact that it's also sometimes quite stressful. So I'm going to show you, I'm going to give you a sneak preview of what a report, some of what a report looks like and some of the interesting things that we're finding. So the first thing we do with one of our questionnaires is we map the positive aspects of a person's ministry life. Over there on the, can I make this work? Okay. Whatever, over on the right. (laughs) I've been defeated by the technology again. You know what, it's like sand in my shoe. It's okay if it's only there for a few minutes, but if it stays long enough, I'll get blisters. Um, <laughs> over, on the, over on the right, you can see there's a list of 27 things. And the way we found out about this was I went and talked to people in ministry. And I said, we know that ministry life can be stressful, but people do it anyway. So what is it that um, keeps you in ministry life that renews your enthusiasm and energy for it and um, continues to give you the sense that this is what I ought to be doing. Um, And so um, I interviewed people until I wasn't hearing anything new anymore. Then we transcribed all those interviews and we coded them. And we came up with hundreds, literally hundreds of items. Um, And they ended up being grouped under these 27 categories of pastoral care, leadership, and on down the list. And then what we did, so this, by the way, this is um, an actual person's results. Um, I, a friend of mine who is uh, uh, in parish ministry and thriving said, sure, I'm going to participate in the project and you can use my um, graphs Right? So I, I would assure you that if you do participate, you're not going to see your graphs up on a screen unless I've talked to you first and gotten your permission. Um, so this is what it looks like for a person when they've done the questionnaire on the positive aspects. Now, the color is not very good there. It's supposed to be bright green in the top right, and that's where things are very positive and very often available to be enjoyed. In the bottom right are things that are very enjoyable, but a person doesn't get to engage in them as often as they might like. And up on the top left are things that are not very enjoyable, but they have to be done quite often anyway. 
And, um, and so uh, one of the things we wonder about in that top left quadrant is precisely what I was saying to John, the sand in our shoes, right? These are things that we don't enjoy it, um, but it's there. It's persistently there and has to be done. And so um, is it just an irritant or does it become a stressor? So there, um, down there are two aspects that this person enjoys quite a bit, um, and it's actually prayer and their, the way they use their time. But um, the prayer and the, the way they use their time is not, there's not as many times when they get to do what they want with it, right? And you can see that there's a relationship, wouldn't there be, between time and prayer? If you don't get as much time as you'd like to use as you wish, then you might not get to enjoy the fullness of your prayer life as much as you would like. All right. I'm just going to keep going. Now, here's an interesting one, because um, this is this person's core satisfiers, preaching, worship, acquiring wisdom, sharing the gospel, helping others develop, living out my calling, and faith development. These are the things that really are deeply satisfying to this person. And on the right are the things that are on everybody's list. So all the people who participated so far, um, they, the majority of people have said that living out my calling, being aligned with God, integration, acquiring wisdom, learning, and aspects outside of ministry life are their core satisfiers. So when you see a a slide like this, you get to see your own unique pattern and how you compare to other people. We did the same thing with the negative aspects. The interesting thing, and it's a couple of quite fascinating things, same kind of deal, interviewing a lot of people um, and paying attention to what they told us, but the list is shorter. There are only 19 things, not 27. Um, So there are a fewer number of negative aspects to ministry life. And the other really interesting thing is that they tend to be less um, intense than the positives. So the positives are stronger, have a greater impact than the negatives. But for this person, you can see that there are only two things that are on the border. Um, And interestingly enough, it's prayer again, and then diversity of tasks. And those are actually the only core stressors this person has. And they share them with the other people who've participated, but other people who participated have also said that time, um, aspects outside ministry life, living out my calling, and integration are core stressors. And if you notice, there then are things that are on both the core stressors and the core satisfiers list. So the things that fuel our wellness are also potentially the things that will keep us awake at night. Part of that, I think, is because they matter so much, right? Um, Living out my calling is about being invested in what you believe God has called you to When that's going well, it will be deeply satisfying. And when it isn't, it's very threatening, right? So it makes sense um, that they would be in both categories, but that means that the very things you would be getting up in the morning to do are also the things that can erode your sense of um, the goodness of what you're doing. That becomes a, a really important thing to think about. So for this person, we calculated um, the ratio. We did for everybody. We calculated the ratio between negative and positive, And we figured out that you need about twice as many positives to sustain a, a good level of engagement in ministry life. So you've got to have more on the good side to get you through the rough days, right? That makes sense that um, on a, uh, you can handle a challenging day if overall your sense is that this is more um, 
positive for me than it is negative. And as that ratio gets smaller, there's more and more likelihood of um, being in difficulties and at risk of burnout. So this person's ratio is quite healthy, right? For every negatively weighted aspect, they have four, almost four, um, positively weighted ones. That means that this person has a reservoir to draw from. When, when life is uh, rough and challenging, they've got extra in the bank. And when you map things against each other, you get this kind of graph, um, right? Preaching, way up there. There's hardly anything negative about it, and it's very strongly positive for this person. What's interesting is that if you draw a line down beside most of the positives, you get quite a big difference in terms of what's on the left side of the line and what's on the right side of the line. In fact, there are three things that are about equal in the satisfaction and stress that they bring into this person's life. And there's one, administration, that's a stressor more than it is satisfying. Is that a surprise to anybody? <laughs> what I think we should do now, because I can see that people are, are uh, finding it warm in here, it really is nap time. Um, I think it would be good if you turned and talked to each other for a minute about your own experience of ministry life and just shared a little bit about um, the things that you find really satisfying that get you up in the morning so that you go and want to do it again. Just take a few minutes to think about your own experience and share that with one another, please. Um, are there people who would be willing to share some of the things that in your group you identified as um, the really satisfying parts of your ministry life? Right? Right beside you. Um, I was just talking to the woman in front of me, and we had a number of um, things in common. One of them was spending time in nature and the outdoors, um, in God's creation. And I think the flip side to that um, was a stressor we both also identified as email and constantly being connected and having demands and expectations on our time 24-7. Mm -hmm. um, so those two kind of go hand in hand. Right. Thank you. Yes, and when you get out in nature, the people can't get you with technology. <laughs> Anyone else? The things that are that renew you and your energy for ministry life. I know you were having a good conversation over there. I do a fair amount of praying every week. I volunteer in the church. There's a prayer team that meets on Tuesday nights. We pray for people who walk in, run a, a clinic. So I'm practicing prayer all the time in the week. Um, and I find what is exciting is when the Spirit of God hits me full, like I sense some flow in me, <laughs> and I see it operate in terms of bringing something to somebody else because I'm praying with them. And I find it most exciting when I can connect them in inner healing prayer work with Jesus and they listen to the Spirit of God, talk to them, and then they tell me what they hear. And we work together. <laughs> That's the most exciting thing that I experience. Right. Very so prayer, prayer would definitely be on your core satisfiers list. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Anyone else? I was just going to tell you that my two partners here both listed creativity as one of their satisfiers, and if they don't have that outlet, it's not really not good for them. Right. And, uh, yeah, go ahead. And I was just going to say that one of the real joys, echoing on what was just shared about prayer, is that awareness of God, recognizing that He really is there, and that all that we do ultimately in a very real way 
is a form of affirmation in that it's a prayer. It is calling out to God by our actions in the simplest way in all things. The other thing that I find absolutely fascinating is the goodness of being able to help people through difficult situations as a counselor, as a Christian spiritual director, working things through and the joy of seeing God help. There is also the sadness of seeing what really needs to happen not happening and the recognition that evil is much bigger than we might like to admit, uh, but very real. And uh, being able to dissociate, that dissociation that is necessary uh, so that it does not become a personal thing, realizing it is their problem and making sure that, yes, we pray for them, and yes, it, we do all we can to help them, but ultimately there has to be that recognition of their problem remaining their problem. You know, what I hear you saying, David, is that there's work to those satisfiers. They aren't, they aren't freebies. And, and, and it's part of our pouring ourselves into them that makes them satisfying, right? We've, we give ourselves to our ministry life in a variety of different forms, and that's part of what is, um, renews our energy and feeds us, right? But it's, it's work, um, and, uh, and it's good work, right? Yes. Please, Steve. Right here. I'm the sort of person that likes to be planned, have things planned out and organized. I wouldn't say I'm terribly spontaneous, but the thing that excites me about ministry is each day, what is God going to do? And I have no idea. And that's a very positive, anticipatory um, thing it helps me stay focused and listening and aware and sometimes some terribly unusual happen unusual things happen and they're they're wonderful and exciting right. you know full of potential and that's uh, I, you know I I just think that's great right the unexpected and and it sounds like you're also saying it's the um moving into your day and into your life with your eyes and your heart open, waiting to be surprised by, to find out what God is up to and to be delighted by that, that somehow that's part of what is so satisfying um, when we're engaged in ministry. And, and in its broadest sense, right? Because each one of us can um, cultivate that attitude. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Back behind you, Steve. Um, I have one thing to share, and I don't want to sound like I've attained all, because I haven't, but it connected with a question. On administration, is there good stress and bad stress? I find administrative challenges somewhat good stress because it involves team building and involves purpose and mission and what you're trying to do, and, and my philosophy of ministry involves finding people with gifts and, you know, and passions and so on. And so there's, there's, there's demand in it, but it's awfully fulfilling too, especially when you can see something accomplished. So I wondered if, there's a, if, if, it's, if the issue is not stressors versus non-stressors, is there a good stress, bad stress phenomenon? Anyway, that's just a question. Okay, so actually, thank you, because administration is actually on both lists. There are positive elements to it, and there are negative elements to it, right? And um, the thing is that for a lot of people, they end up being aware of the negatives. And precisely what you said around team building and um, bringing a, uh, moving a project along, that takes administration. But people tend to be focusing on the coworker relationships and on um, being aligned with God, and they and they don't call it administration, right? Because it it when we think of administration, we think of nuts and bolts and right. But being well organized and being in the flow, getting the tasks done can be administration as well. Yeah, yeah. 
right at the very back. My uh, partner Vickers and I talked about pastoral care and we talked about the sense of encouragement and blessing that often comes uh, at the end of a visit or a pastoral exchange of some sort. At the same time, we both acknowledged how much we really don't want to do pastoral care. And, um, and that there's a kind of approach avoidance conflict around pastoral care. And uh, our conversation then led into reflecting on why that is. Um, that, that so often there's a sense that other things might take priority or, um, or that perhaps pastoral care comes as a kind of intrusion into the midst of other things that are planned um, for a day, um, emergencies, so on and so forth. So we remarked on, on how it both uh, uh, is a positive and, and a negative thing, but um, in a, the sense that God is in the midst of that, um, however we feel about it. Right, and pastoral care is also on both lists, right? There's a number of them that work that way, um, and, uh, and it's exactly that approach avoidance piece that's really important, because that's going to be the thing that determines um, which side of the equation we focus on. Right? So I can love pastoral care being present to people, but it also can hijack my life, right? Because you can't really say to someone after the amount of time you have free to be with them, okay, now we need to stop caring about your life because I've got, you know, six other things I need to do today. Um, when we take care of the relationships, they are both um, less defined and less contained. And then we have this new potential stressor of balancing this good thing with the other things that we want and need to do. Um, so yeah, and I think, I think what people are beginning to realize or beginning to identify and talk about is, that, is the complexities, right? That in fact, the, the satisfaction and the stress are intermingled. Um, and so one of the takeaways from today is um, please don't think that you can get rid of the stress in your ministry life. Um, first of all, relationships are too messy to get rid of the stress of being engaged in ministry. And secondly, they, it is this intermingledness that it's part and parcel of the larger picture, um, and you can't eliminate the negatives without losing the positives, right? So somehow we need to step into that and navigate it rather than try to make it go, make the um, stressful parts go away. <laughs>